New Year's Eve parties are full of people chatting with old friends and new acquaintances. But millions of others will sit on the sidelines and not take part. They have hearing loss that makes conversing in a noisy room just too difficult. And it's far from uncommon. About a third of all people over age 60 have hearing loss that affects the quality of their lives. For many of them, hearing loss has been getting worse and worse each year, but so slowly they may not realize it. I think that it's really insidious, not just subtle, the way hearing loss works, because in effect, we don't know what we're missing. That's Dr. Mark Hamill, a psychologist in Kingston, New York. Psychotherapists often have to deal with patients whose anxiety and social withdrawal is contributed to by their hearing loss. They're not fully involved in the social world around them. It causes them to withdraw, and it also causes them to be ignored by the people who they're close to. People may not even notice what's happening because it's so gradual. As people get older anyway, certain people may not be as social as they usually are. Dr. Cynthia Compton-Conley is Director of Consumer Technology Initiatives for the Hearing Loss Association of America. But if you're starting to have trouble hearing, you may start to isolate yourself from social situations, especially challenging ones such as understanding your companions in a restaurant. That's a classic difficult listening situation for people. And in my work as a clinical audiologist, I've met many, many patients. You ask them about their lifestyles and they say, well, I don't go to restaurants. And then you have to probe further, well, why is it that you don't go? Is it you just don't like going out to eat or is it something else? And usually they'll admit, yeah, my hearing loss. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be frustrated. And the same thing will happen. People might stop going to religious services you know, lectures, town meetings, situations like that. Hamill is more than familiar with those situations. He has noise-induced hearing loss from his military service years ago, and he wishes he'd gotten his hearing aids a lot sooner. It's made a tremendous difference, but it really took time. What's really interesting to me is that it probably took two years to get back into the habit of listening. And I realized that I had just given up. I would go to social events where there's a lot of background noise. People would be talking. People would be standing around, you know, at, at a party or a gathering and having a conversation. I'd be standing there after a sentence or two, not having any idea what they were talking about. And I would just drift away. And then I began to avoid social situations. And after I got the hearing aids, over time, I realized that I'd be sitting there doing the same thing just because I had learned to give up and I had to remind myself, stay in there. You can hear. However, it's not just social situations that are made worse by hearing loss. Many of Hamill's patients are veterans suffering from PTSD. The two conditions, the impaired hearing and PTSD, actually work perniciously against each other. Veterans with PTSD, really anyone with PTSD, not just veterans, but if they have a hearing impairment, they're trying to get information from the environment. And if it's impaired, it means much more of their very, very precious attention is being used up and they're not getting what they need. So they become more anxious and more hypervigilant as a result of that. Studies show that people with moderate to severe hearing loss have more than a 50% higher risk of death compared to people who hear normally. And a Johns Hopkins study finds that a person's risk of dementia is directly related to their degree of hearing loss. 
However, Compton Conley says it works the other way around as well. A lot of people sitting in assisted living centers and nursing homes can be diagnosed as having a cognitive problem, you know, dementia or whatever, but in many cases it's an undiagnosed hearing loss or a hearing loss that even though it's diagnosed, it hasn't been taken care of, it hasn't been compensated for. It's the third most prevalent chronic health condition facing older adults. 20% of those who might benefit from treatment actually seek help, and most people delay treatment until they can't communicate, even in the best of listening situations. I think the research says, if I recall this correctly, on the average, hearing aid users wait about 10 years until after their initial diagnosis of hearing loss to be fit with their first set of hearing aids. People don't get hearing aids for a lot of reasons, but stigma is probably the biggest one. Many people who need hearing aids think they'd look old wearing them, but Hamill says that would dissipate quickly if the millions of people who need hearing aids all got them. Hearing aids should be every bit as common as eyeglasses. Sure, once upon a time, eyeglasses were somewhat stigmatized. I know for children, they're stigmatized. They're more acceptable as one ages. But I think that hearing aids are really stigmatized. It's not as much a stigma as before. There was an old study, I can't recall off the top of my head what it was, but years ago, it showed people pictures of older adults and asked people to judge how smart they were. And some people had hearing aids on and some didn't and the people with hearing aids were judged less competent, and this study was repeated by my colleague, and that's not the case anymore, because hearing aids are becoming a little more cool, you know, like eyeglasses are. Compton Conley says many people have also been scared off by friends' horror stories of how their hearing aids did them no good. And it's true that a lot of people who get hearing aids end up not using them, but Hamill says that's usually because the user didn't get as much follow-up as they should have. It takes time to really habituate to the hearing aids in a variety of ways. And a lot of people just give up before they've actually given them a chance. And they don't go back to their audiologist as often as they need to to have the adjustment tweaked every couple of weeks even for the first six months and then every few months for the next year or two to keep having them tweaked so that they're doing the optimal job. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen as much as it should. Hamill says many users have no idea what to expect when they get hearing aids. His experience shows that hearing aids take some getting used to. I had a linoleum kitchen floor and I remember walking across the kitchen floor when I just put the hearing aids in and it sounded like a stampede of horses. I kind of understood that in a fairly short order, my brain would start to filter out the unnecessary sound of walking across a hard floor. And that, in fact, is what happened after a week or two, that the sounds that were very, very pronounced became much less pronounced. And that's part of the habituation that happens with hearing aids. At first, they're very, very noisy, and they can be very uncomfortable. But unless you're well briefed by your audiologist and get some tweaks done to eliminate troublesome sounds as much as possible, Hamill says you'll be dissatisfied and you'll probably tell your friends. It's up to your audiologist to make sure that doesn't happen. If you do a proper needs assessment and you do proper counseling and you serve as kind of what I would call a hearing enhancement coach or a guide, like a life coach for hearing loss, then people will be more willing to try technologies. When I started employing that approach, I found that my patients were much more happy, 
My waiting list for people to see me increased from two weeks to six months. And it's interesting. Historically, the hearing aid return rate has hovered around 20%, 20 to 23%. And in our clinic, we had a return rate of zero because we didn't focus on the hearing aids. Yes, we fitted them, but we focused on the person. Another reason many people don't get hearing aids when they need them is that they're expensive. In the U.S., the typical hearing aid will be somewhere around two dollars to $3,000 per ear. That's Sean Stommer, Vice President of Business Development at hearing aid manufacturer Sound World Solutions. And it's worth noting that price is what's described as a bundled price, which means that you're not just paying for the product itself, you're also paying for the service of the medical professional, in many cases it's an audiologist, to see you and do the fitting and provide some aftercare follow-up as well. So it's kind of a bundled comparison. The end result, though, is very expensive, and it's typically not covered by insurance. It's not covered by Medicare, so it's almost always an out-of-pocket expense for consumers. However, Stommer's firm has developed hearing aids for emerging markets such as India with a keen eye on keeping costs down. They cost as little as a tenth the usual price. Most of the traditional hearing aid companies do their own custom chips, which are the brains or the intelligence inside the unit. And they'll design those from scratch so that they do very specific things proprietary to that individual company. Of course, that's really expensive to do. Lots of dollars, millions of dollars in research and development expense. And you have to fabricate those chips yourself at relatively low volumes in the grand scheme of things. And that leads to pretty high costs as a general rule. And that contrasts with the approach we took, which was to say, let's look at Bluetooth chips, which are widely available. There are something like 9 billion devices a year being put on the market that use Bluetooth chips. So we took those off-the-shelf Bluetooth chips and let those be the engine, the brain inside our unit, and then took our signal processing knowledge and algorithm development to wrap around that chip so that we could let the market forces take that cost much, much lower for us. Those hearing aids are now available in the United States and cost only $449 unbundled from assistance. Stommer says the device's specs are similar to those costing much more. But that's not the ultimate in over-the-counter hearing help. Sound World sells another device with nearly identical technology for $50 less. But be sure not to call that a hearing aid. It's a personal sound amplification device. The difference is really in the way that you're allowed to market the devices. You know, FDA provides guidance on what a personal sound amplification product is as compared to a hearing aid product. And even in their guidance, they do not distinguish between the two from a technology perspective. What they do is they talk about what a personal sound amplifier is in terms of the way that it can be marketed to consumers. Personal sound amplifiers are for people who have, quote, normal hearing, end quote, and who need occasional help in certain situations. A hearing aid is a medical device that's intended to compensate for a medical condition, which is hearing loss. These PSAPs are really hearing aids, and they can really be used by people. And there's research being done that shows that savvy adults with mild hearing loss, maybe even moderate hearing loss, are perfectly capable of buying these products and trying them and deciding if they help them or not. Not everybody needs a hearing aid fitting, for example. So we'll see. I mean, HLAA, we like to see over-the-counter hearing aids. We feel there's a place for them. Not for kids, not for certain people with more involved losses. And it's always a good idea to have your hearing checked by a professional. You should always have an audiologist 
take a look at your hearing. You should always consult with your internist and your ear doctor as well and have a baseline test done at least. But we do feel that there's a place for over-the-counter hearing aids just as there's a place for reading glasses. Hearing aids can make an immense difference in people's lives. But like any product, including medical care, consumers are wise to do their homework and shop around. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Medicare and their list of suppliers continue to change. So if you have diabetes, it may affect where you get your testing supplies. But rest assured that your number one doctor-recommended one-touch testing supplies are always covered by Medicare Part B at your local pharmacy and approved mail-order suppliers. Dr. Brian Levy, Chief Medical Officer at LifeScan, maker of one-touch products. Some mail-order suppliers may offer a limited selection of diabetes testing supplies. They may try to switch you to a different brand, saying your current products are no longer covered. That's just not true. You are entitled to continue using the products you know and trust and that have been recommended by your healthcare professional at no additional cost. Remember, you have a choice. Stay with a number one brand used by Medicare patients. For questions about coverage or where to get your one-touch testing supplies, call 1-866-621-6216 or visit www.onetouch.com slash Medicare. Medicare Part B is not a guarantee of coverage and payment, which may be subject to coinsurance, deductible, and patient eligibility requirements.